This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I wanted to say a, a very special welcome to week two of our series called Next. How many were blessed by last week? That's good, all three of you. That's exciting, it's encouraging. I feel encouraged already. How many were blessed by last week? Yeah. Um, How many were blessed by the score last night? Joe, come on now. Oh, yes. Oh, the Lord loves me. 4-2, can we just say 4-2, please? Okay, there we go. All right. Well, I have to admit that I took to heart my message from last Sunday morning at around 6.30 at night last night, and I just started saying, Leafs are going to get out of the boat. Leafs are going to cross over. Leafs are going to move forward. Come on, Leafs! And they did. So I, I took my own lesson. I learned it. I applied it, which was awesome. So for those that missed last week, we talked about next language. What is this thing called next? What are we aiming for? And And oftentimes when it comes to especially charismatic or Pentecostal style churches, we gravitate towards the next miracle, the next blessing, the next breakthrough, the next answer to prayer. Do you know what I'm saying? How many know what I'm talking about? But what we wanted to do was establish this thought of what is next. Next is not an answered prayer. Now, answered prayers will happen. Next is not a breakthrough, although breakthrough will happen. Next is an attitude of faith that says we're going to cross over. We're going to move forward. I'm getting out of the boat. That's the next language that we're talking about. Those are key themes and key ideas of what we want to capture. Um, I want to read, if it's okay. I know she's not here this morning, but we did give permission. She'll probably come for the second service. But for those that know, uh, Colton and Laura and Brooks and Bo, um, she had sent a text to us, and I just wanted to read it because I always find it amazing how kids get this stuff oftentimes better than adults. So Colton's five years old, in case you don't know, and um, he had a little devotional night with his mom this past week. And so here's what it went. He said, last night I was reading the Berenstein Bears, God Made You Special, and Colton says, what's, God pl- what's God's plan for us anyway? How many wish your five-year-old would ask that question? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what's God's plan for us anyway? And Laura said, I think he wants us to learn from our experiences and to be happy and blessed. To which Colton replies, wrong. (laughs) Says, I know the answer. He jumps off his bed, grabs two children's Bibles and flips to Adam and Eve when the snake is convincing Eve to eat the fruit. And he says, God's plan is to destroy the snake and everything evil because it's what tempts us to do wrong. That's what I think his plan is. So next language from a five-year-old. Isn't that awesome? I think God's plan is for us to destroy the snake. I could just see him with the attitude and the lip curled up at the end. Just, you know, I can just see it. It's awesome. Sometimes we got to learn from our kids because sometimes God has to get through our kids, but we can't, he can't get through us. You know what I'm saying? How many have ever had that happen? Okay, all right. Next level defined. We defined this last week, but I want to, I want to just... Again, start this as kind of the foundation for this morning's message. Next level defined is simply this. The faith to pursue things 
the faith to pursue things. And the second thing is this, and to allow things to unfold at God's pace. How many know that that takes faith and it takes trust? Right? How many know that God does not have a watch, he doesn't have a clock, he doesn't keep track of things, and he's not so much interested in time as we are? Right? So if I can say this morning, just to set up our next message, our next thought, or our next theme, God's next for you are always in what he would say is stages. It's always never just a next, because there's always a next after the next. God desires to birth within you an attitude of faith for not just what's next, but what's for after the next, and for what's after that next, and for what's after that next. And God wants to give you an an attitude of faith that says, I'm going to cross over no matter what for this moment, but also for the next one. Right? How many have ever seen your kids get this aha moment and, and they're like, they just come alive, they see something, and they get excited for that moment, and they actually move forward in that context with that situation, and then they get to the next moment and they forgot about that one. Right? So it's that same attitude of faith that God wants to literally uh, invest into your heart and into your mind so that when you see the next, it's always about, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to get to the next I'm going to have the faith and the trust to trust God in the unfolding of his plan and actually learn what he wants me to learn so that I can move forward with, with confidence and, and, and faith knowing that God has got me in the palm of his hand. Do you believe that this morning? So it's about stages. It's about a series of next. Interestingly enough, Genesis chapter 12, verse 9, it talks about Abraham journeyed on by stages. He journeyed on by stages. It's a new movie that just came out on Friday night. Uh, I think it's called Patriot's Day. It's obviously the story of the Boston Marathon, and I'm not going to reference that this morning, but if you've ever seen a marathon, the New York Marathon, the Boston Marathon, you'll see that about every mile and a half, there are water stations. That as, as runners are running down, they grab the water, they drink it, and they keep going. It's, to, it's a little reminder of, I can keep going, I can keep going, because I know there's a water station coming another mile and a half away. And your faith journey is very much like that. We've created a a theology that says, I'm at the starting line, but God, I want the finish line now. And God says, I'm going to give you every so often a water station that you can drink from to get refreshed and to remind you of the purpose and the plan and the lesson and and the story that I want to tell through your life. Because if you don't get to that water, you'll never understand or appreciate the next water station. So we have to see that it's not about the destination. It is about a journey. It's about a series of stages or steps. As a matter of fact, God himself spoke to Moses, and this is what he said in Numbers 33, 2, and it says, at the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. He recorded them. Why? Because there was life lessons. Why? Because when you're down and discouraged, what's the thing you should be picking up? That one. To read of God's faithfulness. I remember in our early days of marriage, um, when Sandra and I first met, and, and you can see these in, in my bookshelf, but I have multiple journal books that I used to write in all the time. On a monthly basis, I'd probably have 20 entries in there easily. And everything from what God was showing me in my personal prayer life to some cool things that were happening or some answer to prayer, and I would write these things down. And 
whenever I would come home, maybe it was a long day at the office or maybe something wasn't going well and you're struggling, I would sit down and I would do what every godly Christian man does. We sit in a chair and pout. Do you know what I'm saying? Come on now. Come on now. All right. All right. All right. Okay, okay maybe just me. But we sit down and we put the pouty face on in hopes that we would draw some healthy, happy, wonderful attention from somebody else that's sort of over on the other side of the room. Problem is, is she knew what I was doing. And she would ignore me. And, and, I, and I had to go away. I had to pay like $2,500 to travel down to California to go to a special healing retreat. Because of, of the rejection that came from my wife. No kidding, but here's what she did. She looked in the room. Oh, it's pouty cam today. And she would go up the stairs into our bedroom. She'd grab a journal book, come back downstairs. And on the way downstairs, she would find the appropriate journal entry that I had put in. She put it on my lap. And no, she didn't just say, you know, she just didn't give it to me. This is what she did. She sat beside me and she said, read it. And I went, no. I will not be manipulated. And this is how it went. Read it. And I'd look at the end here. I'd go again. I'd look at it. And I just start weeping. Because I know, God, you're faithful. <sighs> I gotta drop this pouty cam and be the man of faith that God's called me to be. Because life is about a series of stages, it's not about the answer, it's about Him being the answer and us trusting the process. Stage by stage, next by next, journey by journey, because every journey has within it a series of lessons that God desires to bring into your life, to shape your life, so that you can be a blessing, not just to yourself, not just to your family, but to those that are around us. I was actually sharing with Sean just before the service, and I thought a cool thought. He's talked about some of the things that he's involved with right now. And I thought to myself, you know what's so awesome? is that Sean has a level of influence that I will never have. He has people in his life that I'll probably never meet. But it's vice versa. He, I have people that he'll never meet. So in other words, God has called us within our sphere of influence to be a blessing, to take the lessons that he's trying to input into our hearts in that series called Next so that we can be a blessing and help someone else get to their next. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Can I encourage you this morning, record your necks, do what I did, record them, write them down. You know, if you haven't used a pen in a long time because you're used to doing this, then text yourself, save it on your iPad, save it on your media, social media device, or your, your, uh, your mobile device, save it somewhere, and go back and listen to it. Text yourself, talk to yourself, something, and play it back. On January the 15th, 2017, God told me this. God answered my prayer by doing this. Listen to it. Hear it over and over and over again. 
Because how many know we need to absolutely remind ourselves of the goodness of God? Amen? Amen. God has a different lesson in its series of next because he wants to shape you. I want to give you a verse. You probably won't find this too encouraging, but I want to share, I want to share a couple of things here. This is not an encouraging verse, but it's got a really, really, some really cool principles tied into it. So I want to share you the principles and not discourage you. Are you ready for this? Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says this. Remember every road. Remember every stage. Remember every next. That God led you on for these 40 years in the wilderness. Lord Jesus, I just want to be used by you. Okay, it's time to go to the wilderness. I want to be used by you in the capacity and in the place that I want. But the wilderness is where you're going to learn to trust me. I don't want to trust you. I just want you to show yourself mighty and make me look good in the process. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, it doesn't hit anybody. All right. Every road that God has led you on, God leaves you on it. God leads you on it. Sometimes we're in the midst of situations and we go, I don't like it. God led you there. So the only question we can have is, God, what do you want to show me? Not God, beat me up, Scotty. Right? Only works in Star Trek. Okay. He's led you for these 40 years in the wilderness. What? To push you to your limits. Testing you so that he would know what you were made of. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Very encouraging. Verse 3. He put you through hard times. <laughs> yes, Lord. It's what I've always wanted, Jesus. He made you go hungry. Even better. I need to hunger, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay, all right. Yes, I felt that from you, Lord. Then he fed you with manna. So he didn't make you go hungry not to feed you. He, he made you go hungry to feed you with his source. So he's going to starve your source in order to give you his source because his source is eternal your source is temporary he fed you with manna something neither you nor your parents knew anything about so that you would learn you'd learn that men and women don't live by bread alone we live by every word that comes down uh, comes from God's mouth verse 16 he did this to take away our pride and to test us. So things would go well for you in the end. So things would go well for you in the end. What's he saying? So that the next, 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 next goes well for you. Amen? What kind of road does God lead us on? What kind of road does he have? It's, it's a road that tests us. It pushes us. It pushes us past what we're comfortable with into a place where he can know your heart. So that you can know your heart. So that you'll respond to his heart. His road shapes you. There's a couple of reasons or there's a couple of ways that we will uh, abandon that road or abandon that process. The, the first thing is this, is when we become impatient with the process. The greatest moves of God in this church history have never happened because the churches didn't stick with the process. 
Now, the cool thing is, is there's been moves of God that have happened for centuries and years and years and years that have been off the charts. But I can honestly say from my own personal life, when I actually finally got patience and just rested in God and rested in his timing, things that happened were so supernatural. When I tried to force it, make it happen, push the limits myself, it was a disaster. Every time. I know I've shared this story before, but there's a lot of new people, so I want to share this story. When we first uh, came to the, to the city of Kingston, we were in the Cineplex for the first six years. And at the end of about a year and a half in, we ended up getting an office space, which you guys probably still see the sign for, on Progress Avenue, uh, not far from the Rio Can Center. So that, our office was there for five years, which was a blessing. Um, but when we first moved in, one of the, the kind of the, the fire, or not the fire codes, but the, the uh, bylaws that had to be uh, agreed upon and had to be obviously supported was the fact that if we went from two bathroom stalls to three, you need to go from three-inch piping to four-inch piping. Now, I didn't know any of this, so I'm just learning on the spot. I'm like, okay, cool. We've got to go to four-inch piping. So then the plumbers came in and said, yeah, but we've got to find where the four-inch piping line comes into the building. It's somewhere underneath the concrete. We've got to find it. So they took a jackhammer. Like, they, I don't know if you guys remember. Some of us have been here long enough to remember. Joel probably remembers. Renee, you probably remember. They jackhammered the entire side of one room and couldn't find it and there was dust and and rock everywhere and they could not find the four inch piping so they get to this point where they're like okay this is ridiculous we've done this for so many for so long here we're going to stop we're going to get a guy to come in with a camera and see where the four inch piping is so the guy with the camera comes in puts the camera down puts the line down and guess where they found where the four inch piping was exactly one feet away from where they stopped one foot, one foot away, 12 inches, one ruler away from the four-inch piping. And honestly, in that moment, I had a massive lesson from God. Don't be impatient with the process. Stick it through. So many of us are that close, that close. Amen? I want to read a quote. It says this, in a culture that pro promotes instant gratification, it can be wearisome for us to wait patiently for God's timing. Hello. Many of us are tempted to bypass grace and take matters into our own hands as we seek some method, technique, seminar, or experience that will give us the results uh, we want when we want. That's pretty much a cultural norm. And so I want to say this, not because I think we have an issue with this, but because the culture, that's normal for the culture. And how many know that you live and you breathe and you eat within that culture? So it's very reasonable to assume that culture is going to influence you to think of something different or to view your relationship with God in a different way because it's not lining up with what culture demands or what culture de 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 declares about your particular spiritual journey. How many know what I'm talking about? Right. So we can become impatient with the process. The second thing is this. We can pursue our own agenda. C.S. Lewis, great. I mean, he is the man of quotes. I think every pastor in the world has quoted him a bazillion times in the last number of years. But C.S. Lewis said this, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let me read that again because that was good. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. You know what I'm saying? Oh. So what's the key? How much do we follow Jesus? Not how much do we love Jesus, 
It's not much do we talk about Jesus. It's not how much we sing songs about Jesus or prayer prayers that would honor Jesus, but how much do we follow Jesus? How much do we follow Jesus? J.D. Greer, an author, said this, It is one thing to understand the gospel, but it's quite another to experience the gospel in such a way that it fundamentally changes us and becomes the source of our identity and security. It is one thing to understand the gospel. It's a whole other thing to have the very gospel transform us from the inside out. Amen? I can honestly say from my years of experience, making good choices and making really bad ones, which were not good, I've learned that everything comes down to how secure are you in your relationship with God? How secure are you in God's love for you? How secure are you in the gift and the call of God that he's placed upon you and not worry about someone else beside you? It always comes down to the security of that relationship, the security of love. We've often described this to parents, especially if parents who are becoming uh, parents for the very first time. They got a little one in there. I said, guys, if you can only get one thing right, love each other so well that it produces a stable, secure environment for your kids. You can get wrong how many times you forgot to put away the mug into the cupboard. You can forget when to vacuum the house. But don't forget to love each other. Because I'll tell you, and show it. Because they will have a security and a stability in their heart because of that. Secure in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 11 in the message, it says this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. What defines you? What creates security for you? Amen? I can say it like this. Who defines you? Galatians 6, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Philip Brooks, another author, said this, if your ministry is to be good for anything, it must be your ministry and not a feeble echo of another man's. Let a man be a true preacher, really uttering the truth about his own personality, and it's strange how people will gather to listen to him. The story of David and Saul is a very interesting story, and I just want to land on this and camp on this just for a couple minutes. David was the forgotten son. As a matter of fact, when Samuel came to pick the next king from uh, from uh, blanking on this, Je- Jesse's family. I was going to say, what's his dad's name? Jesse. Um, he actually had eight sons, but only brought seven out. Talk about rejection. Where's the eight? Oh, yeah, he's just the kid way in the back. Who cares about him? Bring the eighth one out here. Okay. He looks at him and says, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's the next king of Israel right there. So, Think about this. Whenever you get excited about being the next thing, oftentimes we like to push the next thing, our next thing on other people. Joseph did it. David, in some context, did it. Moses did it. We're going to talk about him in a second. When he was so burdened by the nation of Israel, what he saw, he took it into his own hands and killed an Egyptian in order to prove his loyalty to the nation of Israel. That didn't work out too well. As a matter of fact, he ended up 40 more years in the desert. Didn't work out well. But David was very interesting. There was a battle that came. We know the story. For those that know your Bible stories and your children's Bible stories, you know David and Goliath. I'm not going to rehash the whole story other than just to give you some tidbits of information. Goliath 
was a, obviously a champion of the Philistine army. And he was literally mocking God. He wasn't mocking just the nation. He was mocking God. I don't know about you, but when someone mocks God, that gets me going. Something inside of me goes, oh yeah? <laughs> really? Let's have a chat. Because that stuff bothers me. He's mocking God. So David comes one day and takes lunch for his brothers. He's coming up. He literally sees the scene. The Philistine army is over there. The, the, the Israeli army is right here. And they're all kind of hovering back and saying, I don't want to deal with Goliath. Because the rules of engagement were one man, one man, to the death. Whoever wins, the other one becomes their servant. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that today? Could you imagine what Donald Trump would do if he could do that? I'm saying, anyhow, he'd, he'd probably tweet it first. Anyhow, uh, okay. Um, focus, Jesus. So here's what happens. He sees it, and David gets bothered by the mockery of God. And so he comes up to Saul, King Saul, and says, I'll deal with him. And King Saul looks at him and goes, man, you're only a youth. Like, you, you can't do that. He goes, I can do it. Give them to me. And so Saul comes up with a brilliant plan. I'm going to put my clothes on you. I'm going to give you my sword. I'm going to give you my helmet. I'm going to give you my breastplate. I'm going to give you my shoes. And I want you to go deal with it. He puts it on. He looks in the mirror. He can barely even stand the stuff so heavy. He looks at it and he goes, this isn't me. Your next will never be caught up in someone else's story. It's got to be your story. It's got to be your experience. Because the only way that he could face Goliath, and I want, I want you to hear this morning, Goliath that day was somebody who was mocking the God who he was going to be king of. So he stood up to it saying, this is ridiculous. I'm going to be the future king of this nation, and you're mocking the God of this nation. So literally Goliath was calling forth the next king and saying, come on, let's go. So he got out there and he said, you know what? I can't wear this armor. I'm not going to take this sword. I'm going to go out there with the only thing that I know, the only thing that I'm anointed to do, the only thing that God has gifted me and called me to do. I'm going to be secure in the things that God's called me to do. I'm going to take five smooth stones, which speaks of the fivefold ministry, and I'm going to take a sling and I'm going to just wring one little pebble and I'm going to nail him. And he nailed him, cut off his head. The Philistine army took off. The rest is history. But I have news for you. In your personal next and in your personal journey of stages, you have to face your Goliath. And your Goliath is going to be different than my Goliath. My Goliath is different than yours. I had to stare a number of years ago, I had to stare at a Goliath called depression. And how many know there's a lot of well meaning people that come around you in those moments and say, Well, just think happy thoughts. Didn't work for me. May work for you. My happy thought in Peter Pan didn't get me to fly. I was on a bed of depression. I had to face Goliath. I couldn't do it in Saul's armor. I couldn't do it the way Sandra dealt with it. Not that she ever has. But I couldn't deal with it the way she dealt with it. I couldn't deal with it the way Ray dealt with it. Or Richard or anybody else. I had to deal with it head on for me. And I had to use the weapons that God has given me. 
And I had to look at it and say, there's a lesson that's coming out of this, but God, I'm going to give you what you've given me, and I'm going to swing, and I'm going to, I'm going to get ready, and I'm going to nail that Goliath once and for all. And not only am I going to nail him, I'm going to cut off his head. In other words, the lifeblood that can affect the rest of his body, his limbs, the influence of the enemy is going to be cut off. And the entire nation flee. But your next is connected to your faith in overcoming your personal Goliath. Psalm 84, verse 5. I'm totally off my notes, but this is awesome. Blessed are those who make you their strength, for they treasure every step of the journey. There's one last thing that we have to deal with. One last thing. And I'm going to reference Moses. We already referenced him writing notes or recording all the stages of his journey. But in Exodus chapter 4, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture in the Bible. It's literally three verses long that has literally struck a chord in me um, and has made me be thinking about this all week. How many know that we would love to live every single day thinking about our next or even thinking about our now, but we never ever want to think about what's behind but there's another word that we have to bury, and I just find it so ironic that, Pastor Ray, that you shared what you shared this morning about with every resurrection comes a death. Something has to die. Goliath has to die for you. But something has to die in order for there to be resurrection life. Most of us go, Lord, I want resurrection power in my life. You know, that's how our response is. Let that thing die. But Lord, I have coddled that and cradled that for 39 years. How can I let it go now? I want you to catch something here. Moses grew up in Egypt, grew up as in Pharaoh's home. His brother ended up being Pharaoh who wanted to kill him. He finally understands in one moment that he is not Egyptian, that he is a Jew, that he's Israeli, and that the very nation that is the slaves of Egypt are his very own people. And one day it says in Exodus chapter 2 that he was out kind of wandering around looking at everything that was going on and all the information, all the stuff that was going on, and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israeli man, just torturing this guy, whipping him, and he got angry. Something inside of him went, this is an injustice. Just like David looked at Goliath and said, this is an injustice. How dare you speak about my God like that? So Moses looked at him and said, how dare you do that to my people? And it says, literally in Exodus chapter 2, around verse 13, it says, and he looked around to see if anyone was looking. And he killed him, the Egyptian, for harming the Israeli. How many know that probably wasn't the best thing? I don't recommend it. Um, don't recommend that at all. Um, just wanted to make sure that we're very clear on the Ten Commandments. Please don't go out and break them. Okay. All right. Ten Commandments are good. They are our friend. Fish are our friend, not food. Okay. There we go. Let's move around. Okay. All right. To that moment, he was, if I can say, if I can put a word on it, he was cocky. He was arrogant. He was sure of himself. But he was sure of himself and what he could do. And the first thing that happened was his own nation turned on him. And they mocked him and ridiculed him. Then Pharaoh, his brother, not his natural brother, but his connected brother through his upbringing, wanted to kill him. 
So the only response is, I'm going to flee to Midian. What was Midian? A desert. Wilderness. The place where God shows us things. Hmm. Not for four days. Not for four months. For 40 years. Oh, happy days are here again. Okay, Exodus 4, verse 10 to 12. And I want you to catch this. Moses said to the Lord, think about the state of where he's at. 40 years of nothing has gone by. 40 years of never moving anywhere, never getting ahead, never moving to the next level. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. Can you say never? Say never. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth, who makes them deaf or mute, who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. Say now. Huh. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And if I can use some creative license and add in a word, I'll teach you what to say next. To get to our next, we have to bury our never and deal with our now. Resurrection life only comes on what was buried and dead. Six feet under, lower the flag. Confirmed by a medical personnel. The bugle is playing. What do we do with this word called never? If I can say it this morning, never is a place that is inside each and every one of us. Situation will never change. I can never get ahead. I never have any good friends. I never, 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 never. I could honestly say from someone who's experienced genuine depression, who's been on medication for depression, who has gone through a very tough road in my life at one point in my life with depression. The word never was used on a daily basis. Multiple times a day. Multiple times in one sentence would I use that word never. It was destructive. But like Moses, we have to face it head on. David had to face it head on. Moses had to face it head on. This guy called Cameron Jeffs had to face it head on. You've got to face it head on. The issue was that Moses had a concept of himself, a perspective of himself, that he was broken, that he was unable, that he wasn't gifted enough, that he could never do what God had asked him to do. Can I, can I just say this morning, God always asks you to do something that you can never do. Because then he will do it through us. But we've got to give him our never. Never is a place that limits us. It's a place of impossibility. It's a place where dreams don't come true. It's a place where resources never materialize. It's a place where goals are things that we never reach and never meet. It's an unfinished task. It's an unmet need. It's a cloud of impossibility. It's a box full of regrets. It's a place called 
never. With regards to the call of God, it's, uh, well, I missed it once, and I don't think God will have grace on me to get me back there again. It's, uh, well, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> I've made some pretty bad mistakes. I'll join the club. I think every single person in this room right now would have a story that could probably rival each other as far as how many mistakes we've made and how many messes we've created, how much collateral damage has come as a result of our personal decisions. But you know what's so cool? God just says, give me your never so that I can resurrect your never. Just give me your never. Will God still use me? Give it to him. Never is also a place of blame. It's nice to blame others. You blame yourself. You blame God. You blame everybody. But that place of never is destructive. It's harmful. Because it holds you captive. You feel like you can't get out. You feel like there's no door. There's no window. There's no nothing. How many have ever seen a viceroy home? I think they bought every single door and window from Home Depot and stuck it on the house. In case there's a fire, you've got lots of options to get out. You know what I'm saying? Like you got 50, I don't know. I, I remember the first time I saw a Viceroy home, I'm like, is there any bricks? It just looks like window and doors. It's like, man, somebody's window and door company just got blessed. You know what I'm saying? But it holds us captive. Don't think about the limitations of never. Think about the moment that you are in right now. Because your now is glorious, filled with hope, filled with joy, filled with a newfound faith, that attitude of faith that is rising up in you to literally declare to that never, once and for all, I'm burying you. I'm going to bury you once and for all not going to use that word ever again. Romans 13, 11 says this, and do this knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of your sleep. One version says to awake out of your slumber, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 in the NLT, it says, for God says at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You have to understand today, God hears you, and God wants to help you. But give him your never. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 